Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jane. Hit us with your voice for today. Very funny, Sophie. Very funny. (laughs) Now, just to make everyone feel a little bit better, when we recorded the actual episode, Jade did not sound like that, so you don't have to listen to. Is it Selma and what's her twin sister on The Simpsons? You're loving this, aren't you? It's Selma yeah, and Pete, and it's Marge. Selma and, Selma and who? Sorry, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, seriously, what's happened to your voice, my love? Okay, well, let's just crack on in with my lows. So, my low is that I lost my voice this week, as you can tell, and it's been pretty horrendous. On the other hand, my husband thinks it's a high because he is loving me not talking as much and not yelling. Not shouting at him. Yeah. And my other low is that I dreamed that I saw a dead body. Oh, anyone in particular? Mine for making fun of you with your lost (laughs) voice. You and my husband in the gutter. No, it was just a random dead body. I was in a hotel and I looked down and I could see someone in a river creek. It was weird. Any highs this week? Uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple of highs just to take that one up a notch. I had a dream, and it's so strange because oh God, are these all about dreams? No, and how's your oh, actual yeah. real life? No way. <laughs> so this dream, Brad Pitt was in my dream, and I haven't even watched a movie with him in it, and he's like eighty now. And I had a dream <laughs> that he was at the pub, and he tapped me on the shoulder. He had long hair, and he was like, "Hey," and he kissed me, and it was a hundred percent Brad Pitt. 100%. Would you still go him at his current age? Yeah, fuck yeah. Who wouldn't? I reckon my husband would still go him at this age. Yeah, absolutely. Any other Um, highs of the week that happened IRL? Yeah, I didn't swear in this episode, everybody. So this is actually a G-rated episode. Did you notice that, Soph? I would have sweared, didn't I? I'm not sure, but I didn't. I didn't. Oh, kudos. Pat, that's pat on the back. That's yeah, great. Were you making a conscious effort? No, I really wasn't. Oh, there you go. What about you, my love? My highs of the week have been the main high is that Meryl Sweep has come into my life. <laughs> I want and if Justin, anyone follows me on Justin Instagram, Bieber. they'll know who Meryl is. It was between calling my new robot vacuum either Meryl Sweep or Dustin Bieber, but Meryl won. And I do agree, like Meryl Streep can do everything. So she deserves to also be a robot vacuum. But It has already, I've been using it for literally two days and it has already changed my life. It is some of the best money I have ever spent. It has taken a job away from me that I loathed and made me dread every time my kids would eat. And now I'm just like, eat, it's not my issue. It's Meryl's issue. And it's just so good. And even the other night I came home from hip hop and Nick had it running around the house and like the vacuuming is just something that he would never normally think to do. Like he, it just doesn't phase him. So he never thinks to do it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even care if you're not doing it, but you have organized for the floor to be clean when I get home. And the girls had had fried rice that night, so I would have known about it if it hadn't have been on. Gosh, if you were going to do any collaboration, you would have wished it was with this. I know, and I'm going to say I. it was actually on sale, I will say that, but I didn't get any kind of discount. It didn't get sent to me for free. I'm not getting paid to plug it. And but she I'll doesn't have a posted. discount code. No, I'm sorry, I don't. And I did get it on sale for Mother's Day, and I find Mother's Day sales on vacuums very questionable. But anyway, we will move on from that. And I haven't used the mop function yet, but I will keep you posted on my new love in my life. You can have Brad Pitt and I'll have Meryl Sweep. Well, I actually have a robot vacuum that I got from Aldi and no shame to Aldi because it is probably one of the best. It's one of those ones that do the same. They, fuck my voice. 
Okay, I did swear in this episode the, <laughs> in mops as well as vacuums, but it's currently got so much dog hair that it's trapped and stuffed in the back of my cupboard and I can't be bothered fixing it. So first world problem. What about your lows? Low of the week is probably just that the first couple of days of the week I felt incredibly overwhelmed and I couldn't work out why. And I think I've got to the point that I realized it was because all of a sudden I went from one child being Poppy, who's three, who is very independent, you know, follows commands, is quite a rule follower, and then Goldie, who's very dependent because she's, you know, not even 18 months yet to all of a sudden with Poppy breaking her leg and being in a full leg cast, just to having two extremely dependent, demanding, needy children all of a sudden. And I think I was focusing on, you know, like Poppy's being such a trooper. She's dealing with this leg cast so well, like great that I was focusing on the positives, but then I was kind of like, why are you so exhausted? She's dealt with it so well. And then I'm like, well, I'm like carrying this toddler around the house non-stop she's screaming out my name the second she wants something like so on Wednesday both the girls were at daycare and instead of filling the day with work and chores I just took care of myself not in that way (laughs) (laughs) comment but I I just took it slow quiet (laughs) we're still talking about the day (laughs) Um, and yeah, I felt so much better afterwards and I've just had to have a word with Poppy and be like, you cannot spend the entire day just screaming mum at the top of your lungs every time you want the slightest thing. And she started being able to slide around on her bum a bit more. So she can kind of get from A to B a bit easier without me having to carry her everywhere. But all in all, actually a really great week. I remember you messaging me and you were like, I'm really irritable. I'm like, oh, shit, what's wrong? You're never irritable. And you're like, I don't know. I can't work it out. And, yeah, now we know. Anyway, I'm not going to stop speaking. Tell them what this episode's all about. Well, I might do the mum hacks and the rude or fabulous today because I don't think that you need to do it. So (laughs) our lowbrow mum hack of the day is when we were kids, every week my mum would make a sponge cake. And when it was in the oven, we all had to sit solo in our bedrooms and read a book because if there was any noise in the house, the air bubbles in the sponge would pop and the cake would be a flop. I was 23 (laughs) years old when I mentioned this to a chef at work and was totally humiliated to find out my mum had lied the entire (laughs) time. Now as a mum of a two-year-old, I really cannot wait to use this trick for weekly quiet time too. When I first started reading it, I was like, what a mum for like baking every week. If it gave me an hour or two of quiet time, I'd bake every day. (laughs) Seriously. It's kind of a rude or fabulous, that one too as well, and bloody hell, it's fabulous. Now moving on to rude or fabulous. Being told by my client, I'm a hairdresser, that I've got a nice ass for a 35-year-old. I'm 26. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty fabulous, especially if it was an old woman, it's fabulous because anything an old woman says is fabulous. The funniest thing (laughs) is so many of the rude or fabulouses being sent in are some way related to going to the hairdresser. So it's either the hairdresser copying the rude or fabulous comment or the person at the hairdresser copying a comment (laughs) from the hairdresser. So it's just... To be a fly on a wall in a hairdressing salon, it's all there's just rude and fabulouses being thrown around left, right and centre there and I love it. I love it too. Now we'll move on to today's episode. Do you want me to talk about what it is? Please do. So today we speak to Rana. She is the mum of near two-year-old twins. They were micro-premies when they were born. She goes into her experience in having a high-risk pregnancy, having micro prem babies and then also the reality of having twins as well when we were recording this literally as soon as we ended we were like oh I feel so bad that it has taken us what 70 something episodes to speak to the mom of Premi bubs because it is just such an all-consuming experience and so yeah if you're a mom out there who did have Premi bubs Sorry it's taken us this long, but we hope you really resonate with so much that Rana said in this episode. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jade. And we promise Jade does not sound like that throughout the next hour. 
Thanks for sticking with us, guys. (laughs) Hello, Rana. Thank you so much for joining us today on Beyond the Bump from your cupboard. (laughs) It's looking good. Can you tell our beautiful listeners about yourself and your family? Okay, thanks for having me. So my name's Rana. I'm early 30-somethings. I don't even know anymore. I live in Pottsville with my partner, Bernie, and beautiful identical twin girls, Hazel and Lola. And how old are they now? Um, So they are 22 months actual and 19 months corrected. So they were born three months premature at 27 weeks. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, really early. So when we talk about the ages, I always will tell actual age, whereas developmentally they're sort of at about 18, 19 months. So the actual age is the amount of months they've been outside of you and the corrected age is if they had have stayed inside till term, Mm -hmm. that's how old they would be. That's exactly right. Yeah. And how long do they say for you to use like corrected for development? So it varies on each child and sort of the health side of things with prematurity. For us, it is until two years corrected mm-hmm. when we go in and have what they call a Bailey's test, just check where they're at developmentally to see if they have caught up in the two years. Great. Well, let's start yeah. at the start. Tell <laughs> okay. us a little bit, how how did you get pregnant and wow. how did you feel <laughs> well, when you, like we don't need a full play-by-play, uh, I don't even know what position you were in or anything. But, uh, tell, <laughs> no, tell I us. do. How do you, how do you get twins? <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite simple. Missionary? No. Um, <laughs> Always. <laughs> lazy. No. So we are very fortunate in that I seem to be incredibly fertile. So my partner and I spoke about, you know, we'll stop being so careful, we'll try and have a baby. And literally the first time, boom, it happened. And it just happened so quickly, we could barely get our heads around it. But then the first pregnancy we had, we actually miscarried. So it was super early. So it was quite common. There was nothing, the the doctor's like, you know, it's just one of those early, early miscarriages. So without thinking about it, we just kept trying, having fun, I suppose. And then two weeks after the miscarriage fell pregnant straight away. And that's the one that happened to be twins. And how far along were you when you found out that they were twins? We found out incredibly early. I was about six weeks. So because of the previous miscarriage, my HCG levels were all over the place. My doctor had no idea what was going on. So she's like, I just have to send you in for an ultrasound just to see if you really are pregnant. And then straight away, I just had the feeling like, you know, the the lady that was doing the ultrasound was incredibly quiet the whole time. They always are, aren't they? (laughs) Oh, my God. And I didn't have the screen facing me. So I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, can you just say something? Like, just You probably thought the worst having had a miscarriage in the past as well. Well, I didn't really have any thoughts about it I was like you know I don't think I'm pregnant there's just something going on with the hormones and then she just said nothing and she goes there's two I was just like fuck (laughs) 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 that's just all I said any history in either family of twins and are identical twins hereditary because I know fraternal and identical are different they are different. So identical is not hereditary. So we don't have twins. I mean, you can maybe go somewhere distant, distant relative might be a twin. But so fraternal is hereditary. Identical is the egg splits after seven days. <gasps> and so did you know straight away that they were going to be identical? Yes. So we eventually saw in the scan that the the two little beans were sharing the same sack and there was only one placenta so that's a dead giveaway instantly single placenta is an identical set of triplets twins multiples whatever and is it often when they are sharing the same placenta that you are kind of warned that it is going to be quite a high risk pregnancy yeah so as soon as there's the one placenta it becomes high risk you get fortnightly scans because the risks of placenta abruption, twin to twin transfusion, cord issues, it's, yeah, pretty high risk straight away. And so how was it knowing that, you know, things were high risk from the very start? 
incredibly unnerving. So because of the previous miscarriage, I was already terrified Mm. of anything that could possibly go wrong. And then to find out that it was such a high risk pregnancy, I had to really reevaluate my day-to-day activities. So I had to stop any training I was doing, any dancing. I immediately had to get put on light duties at work, which is pretty difficult. I'm an early childhood educator. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well-equipped for the job. So you were reading books? No, I was going to say you'd sit in the corner and read books because nothing else is light duties (laughs) in that job No, I was on making Play-Doh duty. Oh, great. Great job. Awesome. I'm a pro if you need any. So... It was scary because everything that I held so true to who I was just had to change in an instant. And I never thought that that would have to happen with becoming a mother. Naive, I suppose. No, but I think that you almost gear yourself up for a change in identity when you become a mother. But from the second you find out you're pregnant, having to make those massive changes is pretty confronting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And anybody that knows me knows that that was my life. Like I trained five, six days a week. Wow. I ran the lighty several times a week, danced several times a week. It was, I lived and breathed physical activity (laughs) movement. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. How was the rest of the pregnancy? (laughs) The rest of the pregnancy actually is a pretty traumatic experience. It's still very raw two years on. Having fortnightly scans had to be checked up at the Gold Coast University Hospital. So in maternal fetal medicine with specialists. At 19 weeks, they discovered my cervix had significantly shortened. So I think it was down to about three millimetres length at 19 weeks. So discussions were being had about getting the cyclage, the stitch to hold my cervix for extra strength. I requested it and the specialist said, no, there's enough length. Let's just not go there at risk of infection, but we will put you on progesterone suppositories. So... That was rattling. My mum was overseas at the time. She's a massive support. So I came home and I had to be put on to sort of bed rest mostly at home. My gosh, at 19 weeks. 19 weeks. Then by this point, I'd had a lot of bleeding as well. So we went back at 21 weeks and we're like, not sure what's going on. Like my waters haven't broken as such, but I can still feel the girls in there. I don't know what's happening. So they did the external ultrasound and couldn't see any measurable length to my cervix at 21 weeks. And I'd begun funneling. What's funneling? So they explained it like a balloon. So a balloon, you blow it up with air and you know where you tie the knot, you hold that. As you let go, it shortens and it sort of makes a triangle shape where it funnels. So it's basically preparing for birth. Your cervix starts to funnel. So at that point, my partner was in Western Australia visiting his family. I didn't get to leave the hospital from 21 weeks. I was there and they just said, the girls are coming today and you're going into a birthing room right now. And I was put in a wheelchair and taken straight to a birthing room. But you didn't have the babies that day. I didn't. So they had me in the birthing room 21 weeks for two nights. In that time, my partner flew home from Western Australia and I had midwives with me 24-7 at that point, just monitoring heart rate. I got steroid injections for the babies, even though there was no way that they would have survived at 21 weeks. And then after two days of no birth, they said, okay, we will put you up onto the maternity ward, but you are not leaving the hospital until your babies are born. How are you feeling? Oh God, I don't think I have ever felt more terrified of anything in my whole life. It was horrible because I didn't want to stay there. I've never been in a hospital before this. So I never wanted to stay in the hospital, but I also didn't want to lose the girls. Like it was the most horrible feeling of do I be selfish and leave because I don't want to be here? Or is this where this whole transition of selflessness begins Mm. for the sake of their survival? And I guess, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, was there almost a feeling of you want it to be over, but if it's over, that means that likely the girls don't survive? Like I can imagine that would be such a, yeah, difficult feeling. It's a massive conflicting feeling. Yeah. It really is. And that's how I felt every day from the day I got admitted. So I got put up onto the maternity ward. Thankfully, I had my own room 
So I didn't have to room share with someone that had just had a baby, which they did actually say that. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, I can't do that. I can't lay here at the risk every day of losing my children to see all these beautiful babies coming through. So I was put on bed rest. My bed actually had to sort of incline head down a bit to gravity, keep them not falling out, I suppose. No. Yeah. No, my bed was a headache. (laughs) <laughs> you get used to it after a while. It wasn't like massive. It was yeah, like no. the visual we got just, was like, wow. They had to strap you they in. They hung me upside down. Yeah, <laughs> I was strapped in, however. I had scuds on. Oh. So because I wasn't allowed to leave the bed, I had toilet privileges, if you believe that that's a thing. Oh, this is insane. And then I was strapped to a bed with scuds that acted sort of, you know when you get your blood pressure tested on your arm? Oh, no. So basically... Yeah, it's but it's the length of your whole leg and they wrap it and then it pulses. To stop you from getting blood clots because you're not And moving. how consistently does this happen? Because I can't even tolerate that happening when I get my blood pressure checked. Oh, it's all day. Continuous. All day, all night. Yeah, constantly doing. But I guess everything that was happening to you, that was probably so like. Was your husband oh, allowed was, to stay? He was, yeah, yeah. So he actually stayed for the whole six weeks that I was there on bed rest on, you know, when you're in the maternity and there's like that little couch thing, that's the worst. <laughs> yeah. He slept on that for six weeks, right by my side the whole time. Oh my goodness. Did you almost, I feel like as a coping mechanism, I would almost become detached from the babies or did you? No, like, I, just I can't even imagine that feeling. I don't think I became detached from them at all. I just had to constantly remind myself why I was doing it. Yeah. So every day I would wake up and I'd be like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is horrible. I do not want to lay here for another day. And then by lunchtime, I'm like, I'm, I can do it. One more day closer to a viable gestation. And for someone that has been mentally and physically so active, like mm-hmm. before pregnancy and going from not just hey, you need to chill out for a little bit, to you can't get out of bed. Mm. Mentally, how much did that affect you? Massively. It was so hard and heartbreaking for me because I didn't understand why. Because I was so active. I was like, I've done everything right. Mm. I eat healthy. I train. Why is this happening to me? I just I couldn't fathom it. And still to this day, it's a journey in terms of trying to understand that there's nothing I could have done different. You know, my body, in a sense, I feel like it failed me, but then it also didn't in terms of holding out that six weeks in bed rest. Do they know why your cervix started doing that? Like, is it related to the fact that you did have twins or is it unrelated? They do say it's more common in twin pregnancies because of the weight. However, the girls, they weren't, they weren't measuring that big, in my opinion, for it to have contributed that much. And did the hospital offer a psychologist during that time to get your head around where you were at? Yes. Yeah. So, well, the hospital didn't as such, but there are really lovely committees that are around there. So Harrison's Little Wings, they're in Brisbane and the Gold Coast. And they're made aware of long-term patients with things like that. And they would come around. A lot of the time, though, on the days that they're there, they run morning teas out in one of the other rooms. Fuck, I can't. Did you you zoom in? (laughs) No, I'd be like, mum, can you go get me a cake? (laughs) Yeah, so a lot of the support things I couldn't actually make it to. But I was invited into the Facebook groups so oh, I could great. I could chat that way to a lot of mums, which helped so much. Yeah. And then what led to you having your girls? What were those days or um, whatever? Like? Well, I'm not sure what happened. Everything was going smooth. We actually, two days before any contraction started, the doctor came in and they're like, look, you're coming up to 27 weeks. We're at a really viable gestation here. If you can hold them until 32, we can transfer you to Tweed. So my local hospital. And I was like, shit, yeah, like this is looking really good. I'm going to make it. And then sure enough, two days later, contractions just started out of the blue. They gave me a whole bunch of painkillers and that seemed to help it. So then they were just saying Braxton Hicks. It's not a thing. It's just Braxton Hicks. And then 
One day my partner got home from work. Home, back to the hospital. <laughs> He's moved in. <laughs> it's it in there. <laughs> you should have seen it. We had like pictures on the wall, flowers everywhere. Oh, we yeah. had to make it as cozy as possible. Like the midwives loved coming to my room. <laughs> and the second he walked in, it was just, it was on. Like the pain was immense. And the nurses came in to look. I think I was like three centimeters dilated in no time at all. So from then, I it is just the biggest blur. I remember being taken down in my bed to a birthing suite, but because it was before, so anything before 28 weeks has to be a Caesar. Like there's no right. option for a natural birth because they're classed as micro-prems at that point. So they were prepping me for theatre and getting another round of steroid injections, more Clexane for blood clots, and magnesium sulfate, which I'm not sure why they give you that, but it is pure hell for anybody who's had it knows. It makes your skin burn. And none of this was explained to me in the process because it was so major and so rushed. Mm. I just remember laying there and there were people running around getting everything ready. So my skin was burning. I'm trying to like rip syringes out of my arms, just shaking out of pure fear because I didn't know what was happening. My partner's on the phone to my mum to get her to drive up to the hospital. And at the same time, my partner's told, you can't come into theatre. So one of the girls had done a poo and all three of us were going septic. (sighs) So he was basically told, like, you can but we would not recommend it because we don't know who out of the three of them are going to survive in terms of the girls being so prem, they may just not survive at all. And me with septic, I might not either. So he had to wait outside. (laughs) So were you, did you get a general or were you? I was put under. You were, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the last thing I remember was the anaesthetist trying to crack jokes to cheer me up. But I made the mistake of looking down at the doctor that was checking and he just had fear on his face. There were about 20 people in the theatre, just all getting ready for the girls. And that's the last thing I remember. And then forcing myself to wake up afterwards in the room and just going, lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) That was all I wanted was lemonade. And so what then? Stuff the lemonade. Uh, Tell us more. We want to know how you and the kids are. It was a fucking good lemonade, right? No. Um, (laughs) See, I don't really remember meeting the girls for the first time because I was so, so groggy from it all. But I remember the orderly or whoever it was meant to take me to the NICU to meet the girls. Took me back to my room (laughs) in maternity and I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like fully (laughs) flipping out. And And where was your husband? He was in with the girls. So my mum made it up in time as well. So they were both up there seeing the little little and alien looking girls. Hazel was, she's twin one. She came first one minute before Lola. She was 32 centimetres long and 860 grams. <gasps> mm-hmm. Wow. So is that like a hand? A hand, yeah. And then hey, and then Lola, sorry, was 950 grams. So both under oh a kilo. And their leg was the oh my gosh. size Little of my pinky. pinky. Yeah. So that's like their thighs were as thick as my pinky finger. And were they yeah. in the same little incubator I together? No. What? No. Oh God, no. No Why? way. They didn't get to be together until way, way, way down the track. So because of any risk of infection or anything. Mm. So they were in actually separate rooms in the NICU in completely separate humidity cribs. And then so tell us what, what's it like having a baby in the NICU, like babies, sorry. Literally nothing can prepare you for it. We even had a tour of the NICU while we were there. They wheeled me on my bed just to sort of prepare you. But yeah. that in a sense was good. We got to see the place, but the alarms, like the alarms ringing constantly between the two of them as well. It, nothing can prepare you for it. You see this tiny little red, like they were bright red just because you could just see the blood and vulnerable as hell. They can't breathe on their own. You know, they have to be intubated. What does and NICO, what does it stand for? Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. So it's like an ICU but for 
the babies. little babies. And and do you see other people's babies in there as well? Yes and no. So the Gold Coast University Hospital is actually quite incredible with their setup. So there's lots of little pods, individual rooms, oh, uh, a long corridor that goes down and each child's in their own room. There is, however, one twin room, which we got to move into eventually. So you can you look in as you're walking down and you can see the isolates, but they're always covered to keep it as dark as possible for the babies because they can't have any light. Yeah. So lights are always dim. There's no music. Like you can't have any perfumes and musics and things like that because it needs to mimic the womb as much as possible. Any white noise in there? No, no noise. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, white noise might be good to really Mm. dull out the sounds of the alarms because it's constant and you hear other children's alarms going as well other babies alarms so it can go off for any number of reasons so hazel and lola in particular stopped breathing a lot they eventually would go on to cpap which is a little mask with bubbles and that basically puts pressure on the lungs to hold them open so they can breathe but as soon as you start to introduce any feeding they wouldn't breathe. Like as soon as liquid goes in, they'd stop breathing. So then you have to stimulate their chest to get them going again. And then no breathing means no oxygen to the blood. And then the heart starts to stop as well. So there's a lot of little things like that that nobody can really prepare you for before you're there. And do you have any words of advice? Like if there is, you know, people listening who maybe have a high risk pregnancy and the likelihood of them having a preemie baby is really high, like as much as you can't be prepared, is, is there anything that you would say to even slightly prepare them? Really celebrate every little win. Like mm. it's hardcore being in there, but there are wins every day. There'll be something that you celebrate and the nurses become your family. So do not put walls up towards the nurses and the social workers and other mums there because you will rely on them heavily Mm. through your time. Like for me, we had a social worker, Kushla, her name was, and I don't know how I would have coped without her and really sort of helping me to meet other parents in the NICU as well. It becomes a full-on support net. And did you continue to live in the hospital while they were there or did you go home? I was discharged. Like it was so shit. The doctor that was looking after me told me I could stay for another week because my muscles had deteriorated so much from Mm. not moving. I had a physio come in every day to try and help me. I could walk, but learn to have a proper walk again. However, the doctor didn't put it in the handover notes and then went away on holidays. So then I got discharged two days after the girls were born and I had no idea what to do. Like I tried, I had everything packed. I was like, this is going to be okay. They're in their care. I can go home. I had nothing with me up there in terms of stuff for the babies, I suppose, which you don't need. I know now, but I tried to leave and physically couldn't. Like I just fell to the ground, just crying, shaking. I couldn't be far from them. So luckily they have a Ronald McDonald room at the hospital. So there's two rooms that people who really need it can stay in. And we were so lucky they, you know, cleared up one of the rooms for for myself and my partner to stay in for a few days, which is great because it's on the floor of the NICU. Like it's through two doors and you're in with the girls. So that was for two days. And then Kushla, the support worker, actually found me a motel that's a five-minute drive from the hospital. And the Gold Coast University Hospital Foundation funded most of that for us. So it was an absolute lifesaver because I don't know what I would have done. Like the drive from Pottsville to Southport every day, twice a day, transporting milk, I I don't think I could have could have handled that at all. Yeah. I probably would have just slept on one of the little couches in the NICU if I wasn't given that opportunity. Yeah. I've heard from people before who have uh, like had not micro preemie babies, but I guess any preemie baby that that yeah. day that you go home without <sighs> your child or children is mm-hmm. extremely traumatic and something that you're not necessarily prepared for. Like you feel really robbed of a real milestone, I think, in having kids. Oh, absolutely. I think having a preemie baby is just constantly feeling robbed of all Mm. of the things that you looked forward to in the early, I guess, fourth trimester. 
you know, having to ask permission to touch your own child is just horrible. Changing a nappy, the first nappy they had was the size of my palm and that was already too big for them. And, you know, trying to change this tiny little nappy but cords everywhere and then not even being allowed to do that by yourself. It's just, yeah, it, it, you feel robbed of everything. How old were they when you were able to hold them for the first time? I held Hazel first and she was four days old. Lola actually got kangaroo cuddles with her dad first and ironically oh, no. she is his shadow now. <laughs> but Lola was jaundiced at the time so I couldn't, you know, hold her. She had to be under the lights. And I still remember to this day took two nurses to get her out and to navigate getting her on me with just cords going everywhere. And she was just so lifeless still, like just flopping there in their hands. And I was like so terrified that they were going to drop her. I had nightmares for days where I would just picture them dropping her. And it was just, I know they're professionals. They do this, but they're not gentle. Like that's another thing. they're quite confident, aren't they? They're just like, (laughs) yep. Oh, here we go. Just chuck that one over there. I guess in general, before you've had a newborn and you see someone handling a newborn who's handled lots of newborns, you're like, oh my gosh, be careful. But then when it's yours, you all of a sudden realize they're quite robust. I mean, I'm not saying the same for a baby that's less than a kilo, but yeah. But they treat it the same way. They just are so confident. And I was like, what are you doing? You're going to break her neck. Like, stop. So yeah. And that was, oh man, I just, the most emotional moment for me to actually finally be able to hold my daughter was so beautiful. It really was. And were you able to, or did you want to give them breast milk or what was the journey like with feeding? So because they were so early, it took quite some time for my milk to come in. They were on donor breast milk for the first maybe four days, four or five days. And then my milk slowly came in. So that was one thing I was like, all right, I failed in a sense, having a proper pregnancy and birth. The one thing that I'm going to do right is breastfeed. Like I'm going to do this and it's going to work for us. I was so adamant on, I can give them my milk because it's good for them. So I started pumping like a mad woman. Like I had to pump every two hours on the dot and and it's not like it was just one baby it's two babies (laughs) so I mean the good like one good thing when they're so small they only need like a couple of so it wasn't so (laughs) celebrate the small wins (laughs) the little wins yeah exactly but then yeah they started to need more and more and that's when you just sort of realize you're like holy shit like there's two babies I have to start making some serious milk and I tried everything like I did all the lactation teas I ate then you Greek, like all of the ridiculous things. Um, I ended up going on to Matillium to increase the milk supply. And honestly, within two days, my supply tripled and I couldn't keep up with how much I was making. So I still had to pump every two hours and wake up at all hours of the night and do what they call power pumping or pyramid pumping. What's where it that? can go, oh, I can't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's like you pump for five minutes and then you have a 10 minute break and then you pump for 10 minutes and then you have like a 20 minute break and then you pump for 20 minutes and it's like a pyramid and you build your time up. So and when it's you sleep? To, you don't. <laughs> you just don't sleep when you're trying to get your milk supply in and you're pumping. So it, it, it mimics, I suppose, cluster feeding. Mm. Yeah. And it was so bad. Like in the motel room, I'd have to go to the other room and my partner's asleep. I'm sitting there and I'm pretty sure there's like a, uh, uh, a brothel uh. next door. <laughs> yeah, like, just pumping away, eating spaghetti bolognese at 2 a.m. <laughs> and were your boobs just out of control? Like to produce that much milk? They were massive. I loved my milky boobs. <laughs> like, they were they were so big, but so sore. Like mm. they killed. So I actually kept that up for, yeah, I pumped for six months. Whoa. <laughs> Exclusive pumping for six months. Congratulations. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. That's some stamina there. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Yeah. And then so how, so how long were they in the NICU for and, and, and what was the rest of that journey like? Uh, so they were in the NICU for two months. 
eventually they got moved into the same bedroom, same bedroom, same little mm. <laughs> rooms, little pod, but in um, still in their own humidity cribs. And it just got easier. It just becomes your new norm. You know, you rock up at seven in the morning, you know exactly who's going to be on, you know, all of the doctors and nurses by first name, other mums, you know. I would sit in the little pod with them. I'd read them stories through the humidity crib. I started crocheting blankets for them. I would sing to them. It just becomes your new norm. You start to do tube feeds yourself. Like the nurses start to allow you to hold the tubes and everything just become, you become more confident with it. I got to hold them both at the same time twice a day which was really nice because originally you're only allowed to touch them once a day oh, to let them grow so hard. oh my gosh it was so shit so I would milk it like I would sit there I would hold my wee for hours just because I'm like this is the one time I get to touch them and were they quite confident the doctors you know the longer it was in terms of the health and the strength of how the girls were becoming Yes. And you, you'd actually, it's so interesting. You can physically see it on their screens. Oh. So because each child has a screen, you can watch their saturation, heart rate and things. And Hazel and Lola used to always have a lot of DSATs. And as soon as they would be on me, skin to skin, or just with each other, like they would hold hands as soon as I'd have oh, them both on so me. Much. And it just always leveled out. Every time we would have skin to skin, you could just physically watch them level out. And it was That's incredible. incredible. Yeah. Even in terms of having feeds, they wouldn't stop breathing when they were on me. And yeah, they'd nuzzle into each other. It was really like the hand holding got me. I was like, this is makes having twins yeah. so worth yeah. it. And was there any little things you did to kind of like feel because you weren't able to touch them and hold them as much as you would, I guess, a full term bub. Like how did you like how did you go about ensuring that you like felt that bond with them? The hospital gave us, they're called little cuddle hearts. So my partner and I both got them and they're a little fabric piece of love heart and you wear them in your clothes. Mm. So you start, it smells like you. And then you'd always, every day I'd go in and swap it over and rest their oh, head on them. so beautiful. Um, so the, the smell of us is always with them. And then in turn, I would take the one that was under them. Oh, stop it. And I, and I could smell it when I was at home and just having the smell of them to help with milk supply as well. And it just created a bit of a closeness just to be able to have that little thing that I could take home with me that is of them. Cuddle hearts. Yeah, no, because there's something about newborn smell that is just like, I've always said it needs to be bottled up and turned into a fragrance because there's no better smell in the world. There is. And so that is so, so special that that is an idea. Yeah. So anyone listening, if you have spare time, sew up a little cotton love heart. The hospital needs more as a donation. So that's something that people can do. Because it is honestly the smallest thing that makes the world of a difference for us. I'm going to get my grandma onto it. Are there any ways that you think that if, you know, if someone has a friend whose bubs are in NICU, any way that you can help? Um, yes. So I had a one of my girlfriends cooked meals for us. So even something as simple as that was a lifesaver. You know, once a week she would pop up to the Gold Coast, drop off some meals, some frozen ones. And it's just one less thing that we need to worry about so we can ensure that the time of our days is at the hospital with the children. So something as simple as that is a lifesaver. I had the girls from dancing made up a care kit, you know, even a pair of slippers that I could wear while I was in the NICU because it's quite cold in there, you know, a bathrobe, things like that that create comfort for the mother because we need comfort. You have to be so strong going through that journey so something that creates comfort for us is yeah is a lifesaver and then tell us about heading home Mm. (laughs) um so we got transferred into special care on the gold coast still where they started to drop the temperature of the humidity cribs so humidity cribs have to be incredibly warm for the girls so you have to start to slowly drop temperature to see if they can maintain their own body temp Once we got to a good temperature where it's sort of like being out in the open, we were able to contact Tweed Hospital for a transfer. And 
I was pushing for it so hard. Like every day I would come to special care. I'm like, have they got a spot for us? Because then it depends as well. You're like, if someone gives birth that morning and their child goes to special care, that spot's taken and you've got to wait another day. So I would be like, can you call them now? You've got to really put your foot down at some point when you're there because they can just be like, yeah, yeah, in a minute. And you're like, no, you need to do it now. Like I want to go home. I'm so ready to get the hell out of here. So finally our day came and they rocked up with transport for one baby instead oh of twins. No. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> you can laugh about it now. I'm so going to assume you weren't laughing at the time. Did you pick your favourite? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, it wasn't my favourite, but a choice had to be made. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, what oh, the that was fuck? Intense. Like there's two babies. Why have you brought one little transport thing, like one harness? So we had to pick. I went down with Hazel. Because she was the more stable out of the the less stable out of the two. She's my favorite. (laughs) She's my shadow now, though. Um, No, she was the less stable out of the two. So the reasoning was if her heart rate and stuff starts to drop in the transport vehicle, I can be there to put my hand on her and hope Mm -hmm. that that brings her back. Lola was, she's pretty good. You know, she's a tough nut. She was she was fine to do the drive on her own. She um, drove. <laughs> Get on her. She's sweet. She's got her license already. Um, yes. Yeah, so I went down with Hazel and I remember just like sitting in the transport vehicle with her and just freaking out about people tailgating. I'm like, mm. did they not know that we have pressage cargo? I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> like freaking out the whole time. It was so confronting. <laughs> but exciting at the same time because it meant we were one step closer to bringing the girls home home and my best friend's mum works in the maternity ward at the gold uh tweed sorry and as we arrived she came out of her office and I lost it like I was holding it together so well being so strong and she she floored me like I just collapsed in her arms crying with a sense of sense of relief because I know her and I know that the girls will be absolutely looked after here and that home is the next step. Yeah. It's, it, we can see it. So, yeah, and then we got Hazel settled. She had to stay in her humidity crib for another two days. Then they took the transport vehicle back up to get Lola. So eventually she arrived and we got them both straight onto me to try and level them back out because, again, they started having DSATs and things like that from the transport. And then it was, I think, two or three days after we got to Tweed, they finally got to come out into an open cot oh wow and how big were they now by the time we got to tweet I think they were two kilos so they were chunking up so it was good they had to put them on fortifiers and thickeners in their milk to help them put on the weight and caffeine to keep the heart beating and so there was a lot of other things that they were given during that time that helped what happened next they got to put clothes on for the first time when they came out of their humidity cribs and zero, it was zero, just zero, zero, the zero. sweetest <laughs> thing five five zeros and they were still too big oh, <laughs> like, my God. hanging off the arms and it was just so cute though and these tiny little beanies that I still have that are just the smallest little thing you can imagine like was still too big on tip. them and were they together in the cot at this stage yes So they finally, this is where they finally got to be together again. And no matter how tight you would swaddle them and put them far away, they somehow just wriggle and like their heads would touch and a hand would get out to touch her sister's face. And it was so real in the twin thing once they finally got to be together again because they had isn't it amazing they'd been apart for so long but it's still just like there. It's just in them. Oh, it's just this like you cannot explain the the twin connection because they would have been almost apart for as long as they were in you together no not quite well yeah in a sense not quite yeah. but <laughs> yeah for a really a, a big chunk of the the beginning yeah so it was the nicest thing and finally being able to pick them up whenever I wanted so because they're in an open cot it's you know a normal baby in a sense so you can pick them up for a cuddle whenever they're crying and were you still feeding via bottle they're, yeah so they were still no we weren't feeding by a bottle just yet they were still oh, tube syringe. fed so they were on a nasal gastric tube. oh sorry well, yeah I'm syringe I'm jumping guns yeah no that's still a little while away still but yeah so they were still being tube fed they were incredibly spewy 
So we had to do the feeds really slowly. So depending on how high you hold the tube is how fast the milk flows for the girls. So we would have to hold it really low, cut it off, let them have a minute to sort of work on Mm. what they're getting, start it again, but they would still always spew nonstop. So, yeah, eventually... Eventually it stopped after they turned one. Oh my <laughs> stopped. Yeah. So they were reflux or the doctors just called them happy chuckers because they would do upwards of 40 times a day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then especially you pumping, you would have just been like, no, you all that wasted time. <laughs> yeah. So that was part of the, you know, continued pumping is I hated so much that my boobs weren't see-through because I couldn't see how much they were getting when I did try and breastfeed so because they would spew I'm like I don't know like did you spew all of what you got from the boob or you know so when we stuck to bottle feeding it not only meant that my partner could do it as well and feel a bit of a connection in terms of feeding it meant I knew input and output yeah and could calculate that. I think especially there. having been in NICU and special care nursery, which is such a controlled environment for such a long time, it would be really weird then going to the whole like, oh, I'll just trust that my boob's giving them enough. Like oh, yeah. that would be really difficult. Yeah, no. I became very institutionalised because of the six weeks bed rest before and then another two months on top of that, we were in hospital for almost six months in total. Oh I became incredibly institutionalized. So coming home was horrible in a sense that I didn't have monitors. I didn't have all of the charts and things like that to try and just trust yourself after really relying yeah. on nurses and doctors. It was so confronting and not pleasant in the slightest. I mean, after a quote unquote, like normal birth being sent home with a well chubby child is scary enough. Like you're like, what do you mean? You're sending me home to just like raise this thing. So having been in hospital for that long with everything kind of laid out and decided for you. Oh my gosh. Can't imagine. Yeah. It was hardcore, but I had so much support to try and get my head around being home with them and even just in the hospital like I probably should have noted my mum came every single day she drove up drove up from Mullumbimby every day rain hail or shine to be there with me and the girls what an angel what are some things not to say to parents of twins the first thing please like do not say that, oh, I have them 18 months apart, so they're basically twins. Don't. <laughs> Just, they're not. It's not the same thing. Like, I cannot reiterate that one enough. Like I get it's difficult for you, but it's not the same. You're not feeding at the same time. You're not. No. Nah, but like, it's like any situation. The there's, there's pros and cons to any situation. You should never say that two situations are the same when they're not. Like I'm but sure isn't this about no. like parenting entirely? Like we're always getting advice that we don't want from all these different people with all these different opinions. And it's like how do you know what my pregnancy is like? It just everyone needs to not give their opinion, I think. And here we are giving I our think opinion. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's our job. And we're that's it. You guys job. can retire. Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, I have had people say, I feel sorry for you. Don't ever say that to a twin mom. And I think especially because you don't know what they've been through to get those twins as well. Like yeah. I've got a friend who's got twins. She's been through a lot to get those twins and everyone stops her and is like, oh, you poor thing. And she's like, if you knew what I've been through oh. to have these. Yeah. And another massive one is don't say double trouble. We don't like that. You can say yeah. double love, double delight, not double trouble. I, I yeah. personally cannot stand it when people say that to me. And what are some newborn must-haves when you have twins? Are there any things that you found that made the twin thing a bit easier? Oh, God, yeah. There's this thing called a twin Z pillow. So what? it's a feeding pillow for twins. You can find them on Marketplace and stuff if you really can't find I'm one online. <laughs> but it's a – no, anyone listening, though. Yeah, sorry, I forgot you... a lot of people listening. <laughs> And it's good for bottle feeding and breastfeeding. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You can be the Jade show. That's cool. No, it's not. Now, I want to know more about this feeding pillow. So it can be for bottle feeding was amazing for us. It props both of the girls up right next to each other and easy for you to hold your bottles forward to (sighs) give to the girls. Or if you're breastfeeding, 
you sit in the pillow and it hugs them and sort of puts them at a perfect angle to sit right at your boobs and you can be semi hands-free in a way if you're tandem feeding. And then we used it for tummy time as well so they could be right next to each other. There's some awesome twin products. There's twin carriers, so baby oh, carriers. Because that's one Get thing out. I've always thought, oh, that would be a shame to miss out on carrying. I have never yeah. seen them. Yeah, so, you, like, sorry, yeah. you talk. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the name of it, though, but they exist. They're not like a, a tweet, twigo, tweet grow. It's or fine. Something. You can send it to us and we'll put it in the show notes. Okay. And it's like, a little it's got a back harness and it's just this, these two little sacks and you just pop your babies in the sacks and you can carry them both on your way genius it's awesome you can just use uh what are they hugabubs when you're when your twins are small enough there's a specific wrap you can do that holds twins which was the one i did so the girls were so small i was able to mm. do that and pop them both in there for a little run around Twin prams, there's a lot of twin prams on the market. I personally have the Valco Baby Snap Ultra Duo and I swear by it, but I'm a side-by-side mum. Like I'm that big-ass pram that you see coming down the shit supermarket that takes up the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. My friends call it the ram pram because I'm just like <laughs> out of my way. <laughs> so there's heaps like... I mean, you could just shop for days. I actually went to one of those baby expos, pregnancy and baby expos, and just hunted down all the twin stuff there that I needed. Good. Two bounces is essential when you've got twins. And so when you first came home, were you pretty quick to like put them into a routine and that kind of thing? So you kind of knew that there would be sleep at night or what were those days like when you first got home? You probably just looked at them 24 hours a day, didn't you? Just make sure they're still breathing. (laughs) Nobody slept for weeks in this household. I was like, I'm going to have the strictest routine. Like I've got this routine mum. But it was the complete opposite. I had to let go of any expectation of what I wanted to be like as a twin mum. The girls were colic, reflux, spewing nonstop from the day we brought them home. So nobody was getting any sleep. They were screaming 24-7 basically. And between feeds and pumping, nobody really slept. So I did have the cot set up in our bedroom and they were meant to cot share. So one at each end heads towards the middle. But because I was so worried they would choke on their spew, we ended up co-sleeping with them where we would have to be propped up on maybe three pillows, my partner and I, and sleep sitting up with one of them on our chest because if you lay them down, they just spew everywhere. So you had to essentially let gravity hold the spew in and that was just how we slept. My partner would take it in turns to sleep with both of them on his chest so I could pump next to them and then do all the washing up that goes with your pump kit and bottle feeding and sterilizing. And then I'd slide into bed and put both of them on my chest so that he could get some proper sleep. And that went on for maybe four or five months. That was just how we managed life. Well, I'm going to admit something. I used to be one of those people that said, because my two are, my two older ones are 16 months <laughs> apart, and I used to say, oh, my God, honestly, it would surely be easier having twins because you're doing the same thing. And listening to you, I can genuinely say having an understanding and, like, to my credit, I, I've never known much about being a twin mother because I don't have twins, but listening to your story and understanding because Billy, my middle child, she was a colicky baby too, And I could not imagine having two of those at the exact same time time and having to do that. And and not even that, like just even your journey into motherhood itself, the pregnancy, you have had a journey and and a half and those girls have had a journey and a half. How old are they now? 22 months they're two in August I I don't like 22 months yeah 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 Yeah. and 14 hours and how (laughs) and how are they sleeping now oh my god (laughs) (laughs) hell no (laughs) it got to a point where it just broke me I remember spending just days hiding from them in the spare room crying (laughs) in your closet where you are now 
It looks quite comfortable. <laughs> yeah, this is where I come and cry. Yeah. She's trying um, to tell us she was crying and you're laughing at her. <laughs> 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 this is the support you get on this podcast. I like it. It's real. Yeah, so it was just so, like, it was fucked. It was just the worst thing. We went back to hospital for the spewing and there was just no help and they were like, you just have to ride it out. I tried to change my diets to help with the colic. I... I literally tried everything and nothing, nothing was working. And by this point, we were so tired that we bit the bullet and switched to formula, which for me, because as I said before, I was just so adamant that I wanted to breastfeed and then breastfeeding not working. So then I was adamant I wanted to give them my breast milk, but then that was just too much stress on everybody involved. And I still remember sitting on the couch and giving them their first formula bottle and just crying because I was so heartbroken that we had gotten to the point. Whereas now I look, I'm like, you know what, it was the best thing we could have done. And in hindsight, you can see absolutely everything that you did over that time. But I guess at the time, all you could see was your failings. Whereas in hindsight, you're going, oh my God, but I did this and that and this and that. And I was there. Exactly right. Yeah, it just felt like failure upon failure from my part. I was like, man, I am sucking at this. <laughs> like, oh, I wasn't doing not. anything right for them. But once we switched to formula, sleep did admittedly get a bit better for them. But I ended up having to sleep train them. So I followed a few different sleep programs. I followed the little ones and sleep teachers program yeah I feel like there's you know (laughs) I've read like a fair wad of books in terms of trying to get my kids to sleep and now Yumi's too and in the middle of the night I'm like tonight's the night I'm not getting her up she's getting into this pattern of getting into my bed every night I'm like oh it's so cold she's probably just cold I'll bring her into my bed and then she wakes up at four and she's like daddy and I'm like oh gosh (laughs) oh god damn go back to your bed do you think that you would have another one oh absolutely not yeah (laughs) my partner's had a vasectomy yeah so we were told that we wouldn't have smooth pregnancies ever again so at the risk of going through any of that and the trauma that came with it no absolutely not partner had the snip and now it's all for fun and how are they doing health wise now they are thriving they're doing so well so they they sleep through the night i'll brag about this i'm killing they sleep 12 hours don't come into our room and they're these little chunky little things now. Like you look at them, you wouldn't know that they're prams. So they're spirited, full of life, full on little crazies. And I'm so proud of them. Like they do my head in most days. Like twin mums get it. Like ugh, just dealing with two of them. But then there's moments where you're like, Look at them. <laughs> at what it's point so do you good. think it switched from like literal survival mode to being able to somewhat live a bit? Or do you want us to get back to you in a few years? <laughs> <laughs> Can I answer that in five years? Um, for our family, it was uh, when they started walking. So it was about 13, 14 months. And I, that is purely because that's when the spewing stopped. Right. Mm. So that is when I felt like we could go back out into the world because I couldn't go anywhere because they just spew on everything, everyone, everything was covered in spew anytime we tried to go anywhere. So once that stopped, we could start doing things again. And they were just more equipped to be on their own without me having to hold the two of them constantly And that's when it all changed and became a lot easier. My last question to you is, have you gotten back on your fitness journey and are you doing, what are you doing for you? I can answer part of this. Rana and I met at (laughs) hip hop classes. Of course you did, Sophie. (laughs) So I know she's back. Still working on the twerking. Yes. So I do hip hop. I do it on Wednesday nights with Sophie. And then on Tuesday nights, I do it in Byron um, with That's My Jam, little plug. And I train at the gym here maybe three days a week. 
and chase after toddler twins, which keeps yeah. me so healthy and fit. <laughs> but it's it. good. Like I'm slowly starting to feel like I'm getting back into my own body in a sense mm. and regaining a bit of independence. Last week was at another one of my little breaking points with toddler tantrums and was like, that's it. And I've gone and enrolled them in daycare finally. So I'm really looking forward to free days and that, you know, just to be able to go to the beach by myself without fear of them drowning. (laughs) Even if I sit on my ass and drink a cup of tea slowly, I look forward to that. Oh, absolutely. Even shopping on your own. Now, before I don't we... even know what's shopping. I meant food shopping. I didn't mean shopping shopping. <laughs> no, I want to do the other kind of shopping. I'm yeah, so yeah. done with food shopping. I oh, know. Before we let you go and hopefully get some alone time before those little misses wake up from their nap, do you have any words of advice out there for other preemie bub mums or mm. twin mums just to get through it? <laughs> Um, reach out for your support networks. So if you're a twin mom or a multi-mom, there's the Australian Multiple Births Association. Reach out to them. They've got heaps of support groups, catch-ups, things like that. If you have a Premie, just celebrate the wins. You can get little, I bought little Premie milestone books and cards mm. and it really keeps you in check instead of falling down the, the spiral of this is so bad and why is it all going wrong? There's always a little win that you can find and speak about it. I found that that's been the most helpful thing for me instead of wallowing and suppressing it all. Talking about it is really great. And I'm still friends with some of the mums that I met along the way in Niku and special care. So you make lifelong friends with it. One last thing in terms of being a preemie mum is it's, it's triggering and it's heartbreaking to hear other mothers wish their pregnancy away. I I understand that as it goes on and the bigger you get, the more uncomfortable and the changes in your body. But just remember, you don't ever want that baby to come early. You want to hold on to it, cherish those moments because it's hardcore as a preemie mum to see people not want to have the term baby because it's I would have given anything in my heart and soul to have that. So just something to keep in mind. Well, thank you for being a voice as well for all other women out there that can relate and hopefully get something out of your story. I know yeah, I Thank did. you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.